Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the NFL Central Podcast where we take a great look at the sport of American football from over here in Australia. My name is Baship and joining me in just a second will be Gordon Beat. But yes, we've made it the end of the season. The Super Bowl is in the books. Uh, and in the end of the day, it was the Tampa Bay Bucks not only doing it, but doing it um, pretty easily in the end. A 31-9 to final score down there in Tampa. Of course, they became the first team not only to play the Super Bowl in their home stadium, but now to win it. Uh, there was great build-up, Gordo, but not really the, uh, the tight contest um, we were hoping to see. Yeah, I mean, it sort of, sort of fizzled out after a while. I mean, you go into the game, you're thinking, okay, this is Brady and Mahomes. It's who everyone thinks is the GOAT versus who everyone thinks will become the GOAT. And, yeah, it just, it just didn't live up to that at all, really. I mean, I thought it would be a lot closer than it was and it would probably be a lot higher scoring, but... Yeah, obviously that didn't end up happening. Yeah, it started off with kind of, you know, punts on both sides. It's become a hallmark of these Tom Brady Super Bowl appearances. They, they're slow to get going. It was 3-0 three, three to the Chiefs kind of late in that first quarter before the Bucks got going on offense. But you sensed at some point it was going to get more high scoring or the Chiefs were going to get back into it. But really it was one side of the entire day. Um, kind of the MVP, if you like, of the game, my opinion, not player on the field, much less more the entire Bucks defense and coaching staff. I thought Todd Bowles was brilliant. Um, they dominated the game. We talked about speedy linebackers, uh, uh, Votto, David, and White um, last week, uh, being all pro selections, and they were just amazing today. I mean, White had eight tackles, four assists, and a late pick, and David had six tackles. They were seen to be everywhere on the field, um, you know, in both the pass and the run game. Uh, Bowles kept the safeties deep, uh, you know, very, very deep, looking to neutralise the kind of home run ball to Tyreek Hill. We saw in the matchup in the regular season that Hill was such such a potent threat uh, immediate, um, initially early on. And really, the Chiefs' kind of makeshift offensive line, of course, Swartz is out injured, Eric Fisher's out injured, Kalecho Semele's out injured, and uh, Duvernay Tardif, of course, opted out with COVID. So they, they had issues there. That was something we, again, talked about last show about whether or not the Bucks could exploit that, the defensive line and, you know, the likes of uh, Barrett and, and Jason Pierre-Paul and, and Sue, they they did take advantage of it. And, yeah, really in the end, the Bucks defence dominated and that's what won the game, Gordon. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what we said might happen last week. I mean, Kansas City's missing their top two tackles and Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. And, I mean, it doesn't necessarily show it on the stat sheet. I mean, um, Shaq Barrett has one sack... Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul has none, but the two of them seemingly on every snap were in the backfield almost instantly pressuring Mahomes and he was just running for his life behind this offensive line. And I mean, like you said, if if you could have given out a defensive MVP to almost the entire front seven for Tampa, I would have. They, they were that good today. And then Todd Bowles, of course, for putting it all together, it's interesting. I wrote... Uh, head coaching candidates. This is all the way back in the mid-season and they were seven and five or something around this point. But I still thought what he's done with this defense over the last two years is good enough and he should be looked at for a head coaching job. He didn't get one, but you think after that performance in the Super Bowl, it's obviously not the way it works. Teams with vacancies high during the playoffs rather than waiting until the playoffs are over. But if they had waited till the Super Bowl, you wonder if he would be you know, looking to get be getting a head coaching job right now. Uh, you mentioned Mahomes under pressure consistently. There were some amazing plays. Well, kind of, it seems like they would make the Hall of Fame for amazing plays or amazing incomplete passes because he'd run around, he'd be going, 
you know, all all areas of the field, running back 30 yards. And then at these just um, unbelievable angles, you know, with 90 degree angle, he's just letting the ball go when he's about to be sacked. And it's, it's getting to the receiver. I mean, there was really the Chiefs receivers that kind of let down Mahomes in the end as well as did the O-line, you know, some drops there. But, you know, uh, I'm sure you would agree some of the plays he was making, they didn't always end up as complete passes, but kind of showed why he's such a talent at the quarterback position. Yeah, there were a couple, uh, I'm pretty sure it was in the last quarter, where it was third and fourth down and he was running around for what seemed like 20, 30 seconds and still almost got the touchdowns off. And, I mean, he was pressured on 29 of his 56 dropbacks, which is apparently the most any QB has ever faced in the Super Bowl. It, whatever the Bucks did, however they schemed it up, worked perfectly. I mean, normally this year he's been incredible against the Blitz. I think he's had a better passer rating against pressure than when facing just a four-man rush. But today he just couldn't do anything at all behind this offensive line. Yeah, and I will mention, of course, you being a Packers fan, last week... Uh, two weeks ago, sorry, in the championship game, people were going on about how good this Bucks defense played. Aaron Rodgers threw for 350 yards and three three touchdowns. They were better today. They were, you know, willing to admit better, and they completely neutralized what was Mahomes, maybe 250 yards, and he had a pick there at the end. You know, I think that shows you that um, we're going off topic a little bit here, and we'll get onto this more later with the awards. That shows you how much I think better of a quarterback throughout this year Aaron Rodgers was than. Patrick Mahomes, I thought they'd just throw that in for you, um, being, a, being a Packers fan. Um, Tom Brady, again, championship game. He didn't really play very well. Seemed a lot of credit going to him. And yes, as I discussed on last week's show, he has changed the culture. He's probably the sole reason they're in the Super Bowl. Today, how did you see his game? Three touchdowns in the first half, quieter in the second half. The run game took over more. Um, how do you think he played? He did what he needed to. I mean, 21 of 29 for 200 yards and three touchdowns. Um, it was efficient. There weren't flashy plays. There weren't Mahomes-esque plays, but he didn't screw up any play. Uh, there was the one pick that got called back on a penalty, but outside of that, which wasn't even his fault anyway, he played an efficient game, did exactly what he needed to to win. I mean, Leonard Fournette was a big part of it. Rob Gronkowski was really good. I mean... Mike Evans caught one ball and Chris Godwin caught two. Unsighted, weren't they, really? And, yeah, they still somehow managed to put up 31 points. So this is a really good offense when it gets going. Yeah, um, I think you're right. He did what he had to do. I don't think it was an MVP performance, of course. He did win the Super Bowl MVP uh, in his seventh Super Bowl. That would be his fifth uh, time he's won the award. I think it should have gone to uh, somebody on the defensive side of the ball, as we've already discussed, probably White. Um but, you know, can't change that now. Um, yeah, you mentioned Gronkowski, of course, the two touchdowns. It was a kind of reminiscent of the New England days. They passed Jerry Rice and, and Joe Montana as the duo with the most touchdown connections in the playoffs. Um, you did mention the officiating. I want to get onto that. There were a few kind of ticky-tacky kind of calls with holding defense in the first co- in the first half when the game was close and within reach. Obviously, we look back on it now, they probably didn't determine the game considering how one-sided it was. There was one with Mike Evans uh, deep down the sideline, questionable whether or not A, the ball was catchable and B, uh, the defender, I think it was Breland, impacted his, um, you know, it looked like he may have tripped over or whether or not it was the defender calling that uh, caused that. Uh, Tyron Matthew had a pick that was called back to a holding and then there was one with Gronk 
on Matthew again in the end zone where the ball was clearly not catchable and it was called a defensive, uh, sorry, pass interference there. You know, uh, again, mentioned last week that uh, normally with these, you know, Super Bowl games, they like to let it, let it play, you know, let them play and let it go. It didn't seem like that was happening in the in the first half quarter. And then it seemed like they completely changed their track in the second half and started letting it all go. It, it, it was a bizarre day, I thought, officiating-wise. Not that that Im- impacted the game too much. No, it was a complete switch from what we saw a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you look at – I'm going to sound like a salty Packers fan here, but you look at the first half or most of the game in the NFC Championship and they let everything go. I mean – the Packers receivers were getting held all game. Packers corners were holding the Buccaneers receivers and they let it all go until the last play. It feels like maybe they overcorrected here. Like they thought, okay, we've been criticised for how we officiated two weeks ago, so maybe they went extra hard today. I'm really not sure because there were some that shouldn't have been called that were. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. it's an overcorrection. Maybe it's a different officiating crew that calls it differently. I'm pretty sure this crew is very flag happy usually, but yeah, I'm not sure what exactly inspired the change, but it was definitely different from the past couple of weeks. Oh yeah, it was, it was bizarre. I'm looking forward to my prayer and Dean Blandino, who of course, former officials and head of uh, vice president of officiating at the NFL, who now work for Fox Sports tend to do a weekly show explaining some of the calls. It'll be interesting to see their takes on it. I saw Terry McCauley, who's the NBC rules analyst, saying, voicing his opinion that he didn't think some of them were fouls. But, um, you know, uh, that'll come to light later on through the week. I wanted to mention the Chiefs' defense, of course, speaks Steve Spagnolo. We came in thinking, oh, you know, he defeated Brady in the 18-0 Bucks. He was the mastermind of that of that Super Bowl win. It seemed like he didn't have an answer for him today, really. Uh, they got a goal line stand, a 14 goal line stand, which again, you know, we didn't have enough camera angles. It was probably inconclusive in the end, but it was called short. So uh, the call on the field stayed. Uh, it just, from then on, you know, they were they just touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown. It, the, the running game got going in the second half. They couldn't stop that. In the first half, Buddy was zinging it everywhere. Yeah, it just seemed like they didn't have an answer. They got a Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You look at what happened, I think it was, what, week 12 that they played earlier on in the year, and outside of that first quarter, Tampa Bay dominated that game as well. Yeah. Um, they just – Kansas City's defense had no answer to them for three quarters there, and they pretty much did the same today. I mean, I'm not sure whether it's scheme or the players. Um, I mean, Tyron Matthew is generally one of the best safeties in the league. Lajarius Sneed is a really good corner. Um, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, you've got all these guys that in the past have really shown up. Frank Clark, especially in the playoffs. But yeah, outside of the first, what, two drives today, they were just non-existent. Yeah. Um, a couple of other things, quick things I wanted to mention. Special teams, the Chiefs had really a bad day. Butker was perfect on field goals, course, accounting for all of the points today. But in the punting game in the first half, Tommy Townsend, Bit of a shanked punt, and he drops a ball, and he it's a good punt. It goes, I think, 55, 56 yards it was. Gets called back by penalty, tries to punt again. It goes, you know, 25 yards. It's the Super Bowl. And Andy Reid uh, and Bruce Arians, they both stress this, all the good coaches. Special teams is so important. You can't afford to have that let you down. It did in the first half. Again, didn't dictate the game. But if this was a close game and the Bucks got up, we'd be talking about those special teams mishaps as, as, a, real, um, as a real reason the Chiefs lost. Uh, and I just wanted to make a point uh, on the officiating point. The NFL's current system, the Super Bowl referee and that and that team, that was Kyle Sheffer's group, 
the last game he would have done was the divisional round. So uh, the two officiating uh, groups who do the championship round don't end up doing the Super Bowl. It's a team carrying over from the division. I don't agree with that. I think it should be kind of, as we see in AFL, you progress through the rounds and then the best team, uh, you know, out of the two championship games, whichever team is adjudicated to be, you know, made the least mistakes and does the best, goes on to the, to the Super Bowl. I don't understand that system with the divisional round. I think it makes for inconsistencies, as you pointed out, with a level of holding calls in the championship games versus the Super Bowl. And I, yeah, personally, I think that's, that's something they need to address. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be having... I mean, it's like players. If you're missing... One week already is almost too much, in my opinion. If you're missing a whole two weeks of games, you're going to fall out of track. You're going to lose confidence and things are going to be called differently. So It's three weeks in the end, isn't it, with the two-week break between Super Bowls? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a weird system having them miss that extra week. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a strange one. The NFL's got a lot of things that they've got to fix, I think, with officiating. So... I wouldn't be surprised if there's some changes made during the off-season because I noticed today there were a lot of players on Twitter that were unhappy with what was going on. Jalen Ramsey among them, I think, uh, of course, the gun defensive back for LA there. He was voicing his, his concerns with... I mean, it's just... It, essentially, it's with any sport, it's inconsistency. You can't be calling things one week and not calling them the next. If it had been called, all those holds in the NFC Championship game, we wouldn't have a problem with it, but it was inconsistent. Again, i got to keep stating it didn't... It probably didn't impact the game. It definitely didn't impact the game. But, yeah, it's not something you like to see on, on the biggest stage. Um, any other thoughts on the game itself, Gordo, or, or, or happy to move on? I mean, there's not much. Um, yeah, I really can't think of much else. I think we've covered most of it. It was a fairly unremarkable game. It was dull, to be honest, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my only thing would be... I think I said this on Twitter. I would criticise the Chiefs more for drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire than the Packers for drafting Jordan Love. You look at today, Mahomes is running around for his life behind that offensive line. They could have addressed it in the draft, but instead they decided to take a running back, a position that they already had, and I really think that hurt them today. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a valid point. I mean, the, the if you look at the offensive line they went into the Super Bowl with last year, they got four pieces of that not playing. Of course, we had the opt-out um, with uh, Lavender Tardif and then, of course, had the Swartz and Assembly and so on injured. But it would they're getting up in age. It would be might have been a smarter move to draft a young offensive line. And to your point, there were there was um, you know they were available. There was depth in that position. Whereas they go for the running back. And at that stage, of course, they didn't have um, Damien Williams pulling out with COVID. He did pull out. That's why Edwards Elliott got the starting job. But there's going to be a bit of a, you know, three or four guys battling for that lead spot next season. So it'd be interesting to see what they do at the running back position. Um, I wanted to just quickly think, kind of not as much football related. I think the major job for the Super Bowl, and especially in a time it's divided and kind of uh, disunified as the US is at the moment. I think it did its job as as a unifier. You know, they had yes, they had Biden speaking at the start, but you know, it, it was a spectacle. With the heart, regardless of thoughts on the halftime, I will ask you that, that the weekend in in a few minutes. I suspect, like me, you weren't familiar with his music, but um, you know, coming into the game, the pomp and circumstance, it did its job as a unifying kind of moment. Everyone sits down, and watches the game. It's just a shame that, that it couldn't have been closer in the end. Um, since I brought it up, what did you make of the halftime show? Not comparable to 
Michael Jackson or Queen or, or Bruno Mars. Not, not in that category, I, I presume, you, you would think. Yeah, I'm going to be honest here. I'd never heard a song written by The Weeknd before today. So I really wasn't sure what was going to happen. I mean, I think they did the best they could given the circumstances. I mean, COVID makes it difficult to have like large groups on the field or whatever. But yeah, I'm not sure. It was sort of average. Like It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't good either. Yeah, I heard sort one of his songs. Mediocre, sort of, yeah. I heard one of his songs because on Monday Night Football every week as they go to adverts, they always play the same bloody song, which is his one song. So I could tell they were trying to kind of boost up um, interest in the in, in the show. And I agree with you. I think they did the best for what they could do. Um, but, you know, I think as a general kind of rule, they've gone downhill in recent years, I would say, the halftime shows. But, um, yes, that's our thoughts on that. So you thought we'd just look going forward for these two teams. You've got the Chiefs looking to go back-to-back the first time in 15 years. They didn't get it done. Uh, you've mentioned offensive line. Obviously, that will continue to be a weak point. And I think defensively, I think they need to look at that Bucks model. I think their linebacker core probably needs a bit of work. The secondary, the defensive line certainly got talent. You mentioned with Frank Clark and Jones and so on. Where do you see them improving and do you see them getting back to this game next year or do you think it's a little too far off to determine that? I think it's tough to judge because they've got a fair few free agents on both sides of the ball that they'll need to look at. Um, It's a tough one with Kansas City. I mean, Mahomes' extension hasn't even kicked in yet and when that does, they'll have to free up a lot of space. I think next year is probably their last year to do it with a complete super team. After that, they'll probably struggle with cap space, but I think they'll still be back next year. I mean, as long as they have Mahomes, they're going to be contenders. So it, regardless of who they have as weapons, I think as long as Mahomes is there, as long as Andy Reid's there, this team will be back at least at the conference championship game. I mean, they'll be getting back Mitchell Schwartz, Eric Fisher will be back, um, Laurent Duvernay Tardif should be back. So this offensive line will improve again. Mm-hmm. Um, I just yeah. talking of Andy Reid. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to mention, of course, the news that broke just 24 hours, 48 hours before the game. Andy Reid's son, outside linebackers coach Britt Reid, had been involved in a car accident, which um, had a young five-year-old girl uh, fighting for her life in hospital. They asked Andy Reid if he had any updates or comments on that in his post-match press conference. He expressed his sympathy for the, for the family, but said he couldn't comment on that. So that I mean not making excuses, but that certainly would have been something that would have been hanging over the head of not just, you know, Reed, but uh, the coaching staff and, and the players there. That's quite a, um, you know, a traumatic, I guess, incident to happen so close to the Super Bowl. There's kind of, it's light on, on details what's happened with that, but um, certainly hanging over them. And Andy Reed, of course, uh, no stranger to tragedies. Uh, one of his other sons, of course, died back in his Philadelphia days. So um, it's been a tough road for him, but I think you're right. As long as he's got Patrick Mahomes, they're keeping Eric Bieniemy in the news. He had due to sign a contract extension. They reckon in the, in the next couple of weeks as he's expired this year. They're bringing most of the pieces back. Um, I think they've certainly. What I'd be staggered if they didn't win that division. I know Justin Herbert and the Chargers and so on, but I, I you know, I, I think they're going to win the division. It's just a question of whether or not they can get back to um, get back to Super Bowl Fifty Six, uh, which will be in LA. Uh, in terms of the Bucks. We don't have to mention, I know, we don't have to mention Tom Brady, but just in terms of the organisation, second Super Bowl, uh, first since the 2002 season, 
Uh, I think it's good for Bruce Arians. Of course, he's been working as a football coach since the mid-70s. He finally he got his head coaching opportunity with Arizona back in 2013, got to the championship game, couldn't go any further, retires for a year, comes back with the Bucks, and uh, just good to see him get a title, uh, Gordo, after so long. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's been in the league for so long, and, yeah, deserves it. Certainly, and uh, one of my favourite uh, moments is his mother, Bruce Arians, was 95 years of age, had come down from uh, rural Pennsylvania where they're from, and she was down there watching the game. I thought that was one of the better moments. And um, talking of the game, we also thought it was great for the league to have the um, vaccinated, the healthcare workers who've been really helping the, um, you know, all the sick and, and, and those affected most by COVID and the families, those healthcare workers that have been, uh, you know, um, putting their, their life on the line to help other people over the past 12 months or so that COVID has been around. It was a really nice gesture for the NFL to have them there in the stands. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you'd, you'd echo those sentiments. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think they had, what, uh, 30,000 cardboard cutouts or something to make it look fuller. But mm. It's a bit creepy, that... wasn't it, with the sitting, there were these live people sitting around, you know, all these thousands of cardboard cutouts. You know? Yeah, I mean, it'd be a bit awkward, but, I mean, you're at the Super Bowl, I don't think you really care at that point. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so, yes, that's our kind of recap. No, not the game we all wanted to see, but at the end of the day, Brady has his seventh Super Bowl. Arians has got one. The Bucks bringing in all these free agents and all the big money spending that Jason, like the M- the GM, did. It's worked. They got a Super Bowl. The Chiefs, they're a good team. They'll be back. The, the well, the Bucks themselves. Brady's coming back. There's no reason to think they won't be fighting out. I think they got to be favourites for the division easily next year with what's happening down there in New Orleans. Um, so yes, plenty more football to come. And now we've got what? Uh, what are you? About eight months now into the first game. That'll be early in September. Uh, but, of course, a lot coming up with the draft. and Well, we don't know how much preseason there will be with COVID, but um, plenty more to come to. Now, we're going to go to talk about the NFL Honours. That was, of course, the night before the Super Bowl. They have um, a nice show. They announced the Hall of Fame inductees. We'll get into that in a bit. Of, in a bit. But you're going to run through right now with us uh, the NFL Awards uh, for the 2021 season. So, yeah, off you go. Yep. Um, I guess we'll start with the MVP. I mean, obviously, this went to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, no shockers here. Um, 48 touchdowns, five picks. I think we all knew this was going to happen from, what, about week 12, 13, probably, in the season. Uh, once Russell Wilson started to tail off, Mahomes didn't finish the season that strongly, and Rodgers just... After, so, after a couple of years of him having down seasons and people questioning whether he was washed up or whatever... He comes out and has one of the best seasons I've ever seen a QB play. And, yeah, he was just incredible this year. And I'm interested. Um, a lot of talk about the Defensive Player of the Year award went to Aaron Donald, of course. Do you think that, I mean, we discussed this on the show, TJ Watt, perhaps a more viable option? He, if you look at the statistical um, uh, kind of comparison, TJ Watt wins in almost every category. But people go, you know, Aaron Donald is often double team and triple team and he doesn't play on the edge. He's coming out in the middle. What are your thoughts on those, on the kind of uh, who was more deserving of that award? I think as long as Aaron Donald's in the league, he should be the defensive player of the year, unless he falls off a cliff. Um, he's the most dominant player I've ever seen. Uh, the amount of times he's doubled or tripled is more than anyone else in the league by far. TJ Watt, yeah, he had what, 15, 16 sacks, but 
the impact that Donald has on games. He allowed Leonard Floyd to get 10 and a half sacks or something like that. He just opens up the game for the rest of the defense. He's the best player on defense in the league and possibly just in the league in general. So I don't think that's any snub to TJ White at all. Fair enough. Uh, and if you just run through the rest of the awards and then we'll see if there's um, any worth discussing. We've got Offensive Rookie of the Year, which was questionable. I mean, I personally thought it should have been Justin Jefferson. Herbert's obviously a worthy winner. He put up historic numbers at quarterback, but Justin Jefferson made second team all pro as a rookie and was probably in the top six or seven receivers in the league this year. Herbert was good, but he wasn't a great he wasn't in the elite quarterbacks in the league. Jefferson was an elite receiver. It just comes down to whether or not this award should be a valuable rookie or the best rookie, I think. It's fair enough. Um, Coach of the year? Coach of the year, I think this went pretty much as everyone thought it would. Kevin Stefanski, I mean, Sean McDermott, Brian Flores were also up for it, but Stefanski from taking the Browns from, what, 6-10 and to the playoffs, winning a playoff game, I think this was pretty much sewn up then. And then a couple of more kind of obvious ones. Alex Smith, comeback player of the year. Chase Young, defensive player of the year, I believe. And um, Defensive rookie of the no, year. That's correct. Defensive rookie of the yeah. year. And then offensive player of the year was uh, Derek Henry, correct? Yeah. I think most of them were fairly easily predicted before the honours started. I mean, Rogers, uh, Chase Young, Justin Herbert was probably going to always win. Derek Henry. I think the only real contentious one was Aaron Donald or TJ Watt, but... Other than that, they were all fairly straightforward. And Russell Wilson winning the uh, Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year award, of course. I wanted to mention also the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2021 was revealed at the NFL Honours. This is always kind of a big event. A um, couple of first ballot Hall of Famers kind of uh, that people kind of figured would make it. Peyton Manning, one of the great QBs of all time. Uh, Tom Brady joined him today as being the only two QBs who've won Super Bowls with two franchises. So he's got that, of course, longtime Colts and Broncos quarterback, Charles Woodson, one of the great defensive backs of all time, of course, with the Raiders and then over to the Packers. So close to your heart where he won a Super Bowl and then back to Oakland, Calvin Johnson, one of the greatest uh, wide receivers of all time, a shorter career, his first ballot Hall of Famer coming out of the Detroit Lions. We have Drew Pearson, who is uh, was the senior uh, finalist. He played uh, 11 seasons with the Cowboys and most known for uh, the recipient of the first Hail Mary pass in that playoff game up in Minnesota in 1971. Uh, Steelers offensive lineman from the in, from the 2000s, Alan Furniture, made the 2000s all-decade team. He gets the nod for Canton. Bill Nunn, not as well known as these others, but a long-time uh, scout uh, for the Pittsburgh, who uh, played a pivotal role in their four Super Bowls in the 1970s. John Lynch, um, talking of Tampa Bay and their first Super Bowl, he was the defensive captain, uh, one of the defensive captains, I should say, in that 2002 uh, Super Bowl team, a hard-hitting safety who uh, we know now. Well, he went on to play for Denver, and now he is, of course, the manager of football operations and GM with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. So he's still involved in football. And uh, the finally, and I think possibly most deservingly, I know that's a controversial call with um, Peyton Manning and, and, and Calvin Johnson and so on, but Tom Flores, uh, who has long since, in my opinion, been one of the biggest kind of Hall of Fame snubs. He's 83 years old, uh, two Super Bowls 
He's one of four coaches left who have not won, who have won two Super Bowls. He's also won a Super Bowl as a player and an assistant coach under John Madden. Uh, he, he led the Raiders to what ninety-one and fifty-six record, five postseason appearances, those two Super Bowls, including an upset in nine eighty-three over the Redskins. Went on to coach with the Seahawks. Um, yeah, and I think one of the more deserving. Uh, men in the history of the game to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame class. Your thoughts on any of them, Gordo? Uh, the only thing I'm going to bring up, and this is, again, probably the Packers fan in me, but Leroy Butler deserves to be in there and probably over John Lynch at this point. I mean, he's the only member of any, I think, 70s, 80s, 90s. I think it's those three all-decade teams to not be in the Hall of Fame at this point. His stats are better than John Lynch. He played better. Uh, in a shorter period as well. And the fact that he's not in the hall is kind of bizarre at this point. Because it was only his first time being, oh no, second time being a finalist, but uh, but didn't get in. But, um, well, you have to think if he's got those credentials to his name, it can only be a matter of time before he gets in. Um, but you do get, as I say, Charles Woodson, who was yep. won a Super Bowl over there in the Packers. So there is some cause for celebration there. So, yes, those are the Hall of Fame inductees for season 2021. Okay. Um, so the season is over, but we're not done. Uh, we'll be continuing with our, our division kind of debriefs now. All the teams have, of course, concluded the year, so we can get through all talk about where they sit and then where they head off before we head off for a bit of a break as winter comes and the AFL and so on, Gordo. Um, so, yes, if you're willing, we'll keep on going a couple of times a week and, and get through the rest of the teams. Yeah, definitely. Okay. A uh, bit of a shorter show today, but just before we went, I wanted to take a moment to recognise... Uh, Chris Wessling, a much-loved and treasured member of the NFL media and, and podcasting community, who passed away from cancer over the weekend at the age of just 46. Uh, both Gordo and myself have been uh, listening to Wes on the uh, Around the NFL podcast for years now. And uh, in addition to being, I guess, one of the, the greatest football minds I've ever heard, he's also such a genuine and, and sincere person. Uh, just a few months ago, when I was thinking of starting up this podcast, I sent Wes a message on Instagram, not really expecting a response. He was deep in his second battle with cancer and he had an infant son at the time, but in a few minutes he was, he sent me a response and gave me some really what I thought was genuine and, and heartfelt advice at the time about starting in the industry. Uh, so yeah, just from Gordon and myself from the bottom of my heart, we extend our sympathies to his wife, Lakeisha and son Lee can say rest easy, Wes. It, it won't be the same without you. Um, Gordon, did you want to make a comment there? Yeah, I mean, I've listened to Around the NFL for a few years now. It really got me into uh, football media in general. And, yeah, when I read the news the other day, I was just shocked by it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hit a lot of people hard. Um, yeah, and he really helped that show. He made the NFL media in general a better place. And, yeah, he'll definitely be missed. Hear, hear. Well, that's it for this show, and we'll see you uh, later on. But, yes, leaving that echoing sentiment and thoughts, rest easy, Wes. Goodbye.